welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. Well, I just want to start off by welcoming you to Connection Church Dublin. If it's your first time here, my name is AJ, and I serve as the missions and student pastor here at Connection. And if you've been coming here for any given time, you know that everything we do is centered on connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And man, before we get started, I just, just really want to just bring my boy up here on stage and just show you. These are Micah and Lauren Shaw have been serving in Northern Africa. And man, let me tell you something about my relationship with him. I went down there almost nine months ago, and literally I went on a what's called a refuel trip, all right? I was going to encourage them. I was going to pray for them and any way I can help strengthen them. But what I didn't realize is that as much as I needed to go see them and, and encourage them, how much more they did for me. I remember when we got there, there were times that we were, we were still on jet time, so I was still on Georgia time, and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, I was outside their living room on a rooftop of their house. Dust everywhere, because every time it rains, it's like a thousand, it's just dusty. And I remember being on my knees just crying out to God as I saw the mountains, as I saw the stars and the moon, and just being in God's creation, and just knowing what we were there for, just praying over that city that they're in, for God to give them inheritance in the nations, for God to use them so mightily. And I remember leaving on that trip, and I told my wife, I said, babe, if it wasn't for you and my kids, I would have stayed there, because my heart was still there. I remember going to church that Sunday, and I began to pray for God. I was like, God, I don't know what you will have for me. God, where you will have me go? I said, but God, I just know that what they're doing over there is just so beautiful, because that's what you called us to do. And there's something about when you're connected to doing what the will of God is and living your life for the kingdom of God, it does something for you. Because I'm going to preach here later on in this passage that if you're living your life, your life outside the will of God, guess what happens? This life will be a mystery to you, but only when you realize what you were created for, to know God, make him known, enjoy his grace, extend his glory, will you begin to find a life that's full of purpose, a life that you realize that, hey, I am truly God's handiwork, and this is what he created me to do. If you are a Christian and you bear fruit, you will go and make disciples. There is no, there is no other thing you will do. We are God's plan A to reach the world. There is no plan B, church. Sorry, I mean to get off on a rant. But I just really want to just tell them, like, man, for what you, what you guys are doing and what I see as you send those newsletters and stuff you're asking us to pray for and all those things, man, you're killing it. God is using you and your team, and you're doing a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I want to tell you something. They are somebody that we support from our very own Connection Network. So it's not that we had somebody else come in and ask us for money and we sent them off. No, they were raised up from Connection Church Vidalia and they were sent off. They put their yes on the table and said, you know, this American dream, I'm dying to it. And I see God for what he's worth and I know what he's called me to. And they put their yes on the table and they have went to a country that has zero access to the gospel. So church, I just want to open the floor. I just want to ask them a few questions just to show you guys, to introduce you to them and to realize the challenges and what God has been doing in and through them. So... Well, my first question is, I want to ask you guys, how long have you been living in Northern Africa, and what was one of the greatest challenges in moving your family overseas? Because what I hear so much is when I talk about missions to families that have kids, they're like, what about the safety of my kid? Like, I I'm just worried about taking my kids someplace where they may get hurt. I'm called to take care of my family. Well, what was the greatest challenge in moving your family overseas? Yeah, so we've been living in um, North Africa for almost two years, and when God called us, um, I had the American dream, you know, growing up um, in the back of my mind, this is what I want for my kids, is to grow up close to my family, to my husband's family. We come from two really awesome families, and we're really close with them, and I wanted my kids to grow up with their grandparents. 
Um, I wanted my kids to be in, you know, athletics and um, have so many awesome opportunities that we as Americans have. So um, moving over there, we know we'd be pulling our kids away from all of that. And that was very hard for us. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest challenges of saying yeah. yes. Um, and just, yeah, the safety factor over there. It's a secure country. Um, we're not supposed to be there doing what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, kind of in the back of our hearts and minds, just um, letting go of the security of our children and just putting that in God's care. So I would say, yeah, our kids is a huge factor of why it was hard to say yes. Good deal. Well, going to the next question, what's been your biggest win that you've seen this year since you've been in North Africa? Yeah, I would say um, actually something you got to participate in, AJ, when you were there. We started, uh, me and a person on my team started a sports outreach where each week we get together, we play volleyball or soccer, we invite people to that, have their friends invite their friends there. It's kind of like in America, we invite people to church. There we invite people to sports because we can't really invite people to church because it's secure. <laughs> so we invite them to sports, we get to know them, and we get to actually take them out afterwards and like share the gospel with them. And a lot of them, it's the first time they've ever heard it. Right before we came here, I got to share with like five guys at the same time we had never heard it before. And just opportunities like that have been a huge win for us because now we're actually seeing the fruits of that labor. Yeah. We just started our first church group from that effort. And that's been an amazing win for us. And I think God just continues to blow us away with just the ideas he gives us to try to connect and, and yeah. the strategies we have. But, yeah, that's a big one for us. And just to speak on that a little bit, they had us, one of the outreach they do is they play volleyball. So you got in this middle of this dirt field, and they, they mark it down, and these jokers are taking hammers trying to beat those stakes. That ground is like concrete when they're beating them stakes to hold the volleyball net up. And there was a guy I met there, and you can just tell, man, we were just drawn to each other, but there was one disconnect. We couldn't speak the same language. So I have to go to Mike and say, hey, would you say something to this guy for me? And this guy's trying to say something to him to say back to me. And we just, we couldn't get out what we wanted to say. So we just hugged each other and just kept laughing. And I remember leaving. I was like, man, that was truly, truly awesome, right? To be there and be connected with other people from other nations that are, that are coming to faith in Christ, right? Just something beautiful about that. He's, well, sa he's saved now. Hey, praise God. <laughs> praise God. So I know there may be someone, and I've even talked to a couple of our youth here at Connection Church, and one of the things I believe is that the local church is responsible for sending, all right? If we're not raising up people over here, we're not going to have anybody to send over there. So I believe that the local church is the primary uh, 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 force to send missionaries overseas. So one of the things I want you to answer this question for me is, what would you say to the person that's on the fence about going into mission work? I would say that it's worth it that obedience to what the Lord is asking you to do is so much more important than comfort. That's right. And I think I lived a life of comfort before, and then God did a work within me, and I realized how important obedience is. It's more important than the knowledge or anything else. He just wants you to obey and do. Yes. And I think that, more than anything else, is important. And to live and walk with the Lord in obedience there's no better blessing to know you're actually living out what he wants you to do. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And lastly, and this is for everybody in the room, because I believe as a, as a Christian, we should all have a global mindset. And there's a way we can all participate in the mission, whether we're sending, going, 
uh, uh, mobilizing. And one of the things I believe that we're passionate about this church is interceding for our brothers. So that means praying for our partners that are overseas as they battle on the front lines for us. So what are some, some specific ways we as a church, uh, I guess to put it back in the member's seat, you know, what are some ways that we could be praying for you? Um, I would say just the movement of the church as a whole. We went out there to plant churches. So when we first arrived, there was one church, and now there's four. So we're seeing the movement happen. It's really exciting. God is so good to be doing that work and us seeing that fruit already. Um, but we can also see Satan infiltrating and trying to fracture the church. Um, so pray for protection from the enemy um, on those church groups um, they are a very young and immature uh, group of Christians. They need to be um, seasoned in their faith. They need to grow in a lot of different ways and um, be discipled. And so just pray um, for protection um, against the enemy on our church network. That would be the main prayer request. And I, I just add, just for God to continue to ready the soil there. It's That's been right. such hard ground for so long. It's There's 12 million people that live where we're at, and there's like, a thousand believers, maybe, if that. And so it's been centuries of just Islam dominance, and it's really a spiritually oppressive place. And I remember you saying something to the effect of, like, it just feels different here. And it's definitely the case. So I think just that God would continue to ready the soil there, that we'd be able to continue to plant seeds in the hearts of people, and that they'd be receptive for that. I think one of the things, I've, Micah, I've, I've showed our people, and I've talked through with our people was that first, that second day we were there, you took us to a hilltop. And it gives me tears and it, it haunts my soul to think about it. And for the people that hadn't heard this story, he took us to a graveyard in North Africa. And as you will look at these graves, you will go to the top of this hill and you will look. And as far as you could see, you will see these graves. And as you will look at each grave, they will have, some have three and four names. Most of them have three and four names written on those graves. And they were written in Arabic, and the way they had it written, he was telling me, you could tell that they died a Muslim. So if I, could, if I could paint this picture for you, take this big hilltop that's scattered with graves and multiply it times four. And what I told him when I was there, I said, literally, that's a monument to people who will spend their eternity in hell separated from God. And when you see that, if that doesn't do anything to you, I will, I will gladly ask you to go back and read the gospel again and read it over and over and over and realize that the God that created us also created them as well, and he wants a relationship with them. And the beautiful thing about it, he uses us to go and we reach the ends of the earth. That's why he created the church. So I ask you, when we get done today, as they finish up and we get ready to pray over them as a church, that's what we're going to do. I ask that you pray at your seat as I pray out loud. As we pray and intercede for our brother and sister, they continue to battle on the forefront for the kingdom of God. Can we do that, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just come to you right now, God, just in honor of who you are. God, that you are holy. God, that you are righteous. And that, God, we know that you are a God that doesn't make mistakes. And God, I pray right now for, for Micah and Lauren and their family, God. You just heard their prayer request, God. God, I pray that as Satan tries to advance against their church, Father God, you said in your word that the gates of hell will have nothing to do with it, God. It, will not, it shall not prevail, God. Where the Spirit of God is, Father God, I know there's power. And God, when we speak, God, Satan has to flee. So right, God, God, we speak that you protect them right now, Father God. God, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over them to the point, God, that you just surround them with your presence, God. That everywhere that they will go, the darkness would just scatter and it would flee. And God, that people will see something radically different in them, Father God. Someone who will say yes to you, God, that would, that would die to themselves and say, God, your kingdom is more important than anything this world could give me. 
God, surrendering my life to Jesus is more important than anything this life could give me. Anything this life could give my kids. So God, I pray for their kids as well, God, that you will raise them up, Father God. God, as they are language learning right now, Father God, that you will give them, their whole family, a supernatural understanding, Father God, so they could communicate the gospel clearly, God, so that whatever shade Satan may throw, God, they know how to speak against it. So God, give them the eyes to see and the ears to hear to specifically listen to what these people are saying. And God, as Micah said, God, would you ready to soul? God, would you begin to prepare the hearts of those that will hear the message of the gospel, God? God, I pray that you will give them dreams, God. God, may the vision of Jesus, God, may you speak to them in their dreams, God. God, I pray that you put Micah and Lauren in their dreams as well so when they come up, God, they know that, hey, I saw you in my dream last night. You must have something important to tell me, so I'm ready to listen. God, I pray for those encounters right now. And God, I pray for us as a church, God, that we will continue battling for them, God. That we will continue shooting those arrows to the front line to give them help as they're battling on the battlefield, God. But God, just thank you for their heart. God, I thank you for their sacrifice, God. And God, I pray that you continue to fill up their cup daily, God, to where it overflowed. Everything that comes out of their mouth, God, will be like a spring welling of life from you. But God, we ask all these things, God, that you would be with us in our service, God, be with us in our message today that's being preached, God. And would you ready our people, God, for what it looks like to die to this earth, what it looks like to build up treasures in heaven but not treasures in my living room, God. But God, I ask all these things that you would speak to me in a mighty way, God. God, I know without your Holy Spirit, God, I'm just a motivational speaker at best. And I give you all these things in your precious holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, brother. Man. What's up, Connection Church? How y'all doing? Good. Well, if you've been coming to church here for a while, you realize we've been going through the book of James, and we called it Real Authentic Faith. What does it look like to truly live out your faith, all right? So this week, we're going, to be in James, we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through James chapter 5, verses 6. And man, I'm telling you, this book, going through the book of James, it's really, really been a ride. You know, and, I, and Buck warned me, you know, as you're preparing for these sermons, as we're sitting through sermon prep meetings, he said, it's really like throat punch Thursday when we meet. Because every week, James is hitting us with some heavy hitters, right? Because I believe that this message that he's preaching to the Ameri- that he's preaching to his church in that time, the scattered Jewish believers, is more so for the church today. It's a message that transcends time. And James is that in-your-face type. So if you know me, I like to be in your face a little bit. All right? I like to challenge you a little bit because I believe that what God is saying through this word here, what God is trying to speak through the book of James, he is trying to get us to live a life that's glorifying to him, to live a life that's passionate for the things that he's passionate about. And if you know James, if you've been coming to this church for a little bit, that he's not beating around the bush with anything. He's getting right to the point. And I'm going to tell you, as I prepare for this message, man, I'm going to tell you, I have been convicted of myself. I told my wife I'm ready to go sell our house and go live in an RV from here on out. That's what I told her with th- somehow with two kids with one on the way. But we're going to make this thing happen. Let's get through this passage. I'm going to show you, church, that, that what it looks like to, to trust a known God with an unknown future. How about that? So verse 13 in chapter 4 says, Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. It says, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Go down to verse chapter 5. 
warning to rich oppressors. It says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. It says, your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It says, you have lived in earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Church, that's not an easy message. That's not an easy passage to hear for the American church, who a lot of times is wrapped up in their things, Right? Like we say we, we love God, we say that God, everything I have is yours, but yet we live lives that are completely opposite in what we actually say. So before we dive into this passage, because I love expository preaching, going line by line in this passage, I just want to give you a little context so we can realize what James is actually trying to address in this passage. So I want you to understand who is James. James is the little brother of Jesus Christ and one of the disciples. And I love how he starts this passage out saying that he's a servant of God and Jesus Christ. And he did not let that title that he had, as so many people would do in life, is let these titles run their life thinking they're somebody because they have a title. He didn't use that title as something to boast in, but yet he called himself a servant, right? So he said he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's trying to do is he's instructing these scattered Jewish believers on how to truly live out your faith. He was teaching them to listen to the word of God, to then accept the word of God and begin to practice the word of God, which will give you freedom. But one of the major problems with this church is it was failing to act on what God commanded them to do. They were failing to act on what they professed to believe, right? They failed to exercise authentic faith. And many of the themes that we've seen through this book, James has been, pre- are prevalent in the, in the local church today. Control your tongue. Faith without works is dead. Think of all the things that we've seen. Favoritism in the church. We see all those things in the church today. So one of the things he's asking and one of the things he's trying to address is one thing I believe is common in a lot of churches is that people are spiritually immature. They're immature in their faith, and that's the number one thing plaguing the the Christian church, I believe. Connection Church, I want to tell you something today. God is looking for mature men and women who will carry out his work in the world. I think if I had to make a main point or a main focus of my sermon today, it would be from the quote from a lady named Corey Ten Boom, and this is what she said. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I'm going to give a personal story. I remember back in high school, I went to a church called Union Girl Church of God in Christ out in Montrose, Pentecostal Church, and they had Senior Sunday. And one of the things they decided to do was take all the seniors and call them down front, and they was going to pray over them. We had a lady at our church named Missionary James. I don't really know what many... don't really know why they called him Missionary James, but I just assumed back in the day, because I had no discipleship, I assumed that missionary was what you call older black people in the church or the black women in the church. But in saying that, Missionary James called me down front, and as she would lay her hands on my head, I watched her pray for all these other high school students that were graduating, and as she laid her hand on my head, she began to scream the word, preach! And she kept saying, preach, 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 over and over and over. And while she's praying over me, I'm thinking to myself, I was like, ain't no way I'm about to go be a pastor. She's out of her mind. 
She must got the next person line because they ain't going to be your boy. I'm going to tell you. I was going to play football at Georgia Southern. I thought I was going to the next level. I want to have the nicest cars. I want the lightest system so I can beat down the block. I want that nitrous in the back of my trunk. I want the nicest clothes. I want the fresh pair of Jordan 1s that come out every year. I wanted all those things. And being a pastor wasn't going to let me get those things because I was probably going to be broke the rest of my life. I didn't want that. All right? Let's fast forward. Eight years later, I moved to Dublin, Georgia. I meet a guy named Buck, a guy truly, and you know Buck, a guy truly after the heart of God, I believe. And then what he started doing was discipling me, right? And everything he had in him looked so addictive to me. And I was like, I want what this guy has. He's got something I didn't have. He doesn't have all the fancy stuff. He drove a truck with a mirror fell off one day when I was opening his door and closed it. If you looked at his windshield wiper, one of them fell off and he was scrubbing metal across the windshield. I don't want to be like that is what I thought. But he had something that I didn't have. He had a peace about something that I didn't have. There was a security that he didn't have no benefits, no retirement, no nothing, but he knew something that I didn't know, and that sustained him, and I wanted that. And as we began to meet, as you begin to teach me, what I didn't know was there was an itch began to grow in me that would only be scratched if I would share the good news of Jesus with someone. Only if I would invite somebody to church to have a spiritual conversation would that, that itch be scratched, right? And then I keep going back. I remember Buck told me a long time ago we started meeting. I used to drag race. I wanted to have a fast car. And everybody knew me knew I was about my stuff, you know. And Kylie used to pray that a tree would fall on that, on that car. She prayed. Y'all know my wife. She prayed over and over and over that a tree would fall on that car. Well, lo and behold, I posted it for sale, and guess what happened? I had a wreck. Wasn't nothing wrong with it, and the insurance company towed up my car. And I almost went through a little bit of depression, right? Because I had an attachment to this material thing that God had created. And I really probably worshiped that car. I didn't realize how much time I spent away from my kids that when I was up at the shop just trying to make a little more money so I can go a little bit faster in the quarter mile, all right? So baby, in a way, Kyle, I know you're listening online. God answered your prayer. Thank goodness I wasn't in it when I had, if a tree would have fell in, I guess, but I had a wreck. And many of you know, I was in law enforcement, and I remember in law enforcement, if you're in local law enforcement, a lot of times for a college graduate, the, 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 the end goal should be getting the federal system. Because if you're in law enforcement, you got a college degree and you make it to the federal system, you have made it with your life and your career is about to take off. You know, I remember I, I got to the VA and I believe I had made it. I knew my career was about to take off, right? And I remember people asking me when I went to the VA, it's like, AJ, have you prayed over it yet? But I had prayed, but the issue is I prayed with the mindset of thinking God was going to answer that prayer. So whether he told me yeah or no, I was going to pray myself in that job is what I thought. And I think many of us do that in our own prayers. We pray with the agenda already, expecting God to give us what we already want, right? But what if he told us no, what would you do with your life? Something that you passionately pursued, that you thought you wanted, but yet you tried and made you and put yourself there apart from the will of God, apart from what God had for your life, right? Well, I find myself in that spot. I remember leaving and coming home some days, and I was so stressed at work. I was like, man, I thought that God put me in this place, but really the motivation for going was a U.S. marshal that I interned with back in college told me, before you're 28 years old, you need to be in the federal system. God had nothing to do with it. It was from a man created by God that probably wasn't even following Jesus telling me I need to be in the federal system, so I made his word golden in my life and not the word of God. I end up there. They changed me with a schedule change. I had been preaching here at Connection Church, and crazy, lo and behold, they hit me with a schedule change, and if I stayed, I would have to step down as a youth pastor. But I said, absolutely not. My faith and my family was way more important than this job, and I stepped away, and lo and behold, a full-time spot came over in the church, and I came into it. But I'm telling you, church, 10 years ago, if you'd have asked me what was on my plate, if you'd have asked me what were my plans, pastor wasn't on the list. 
Missions pastor wasn't on the list. None of those things were on the list. Stepping away from the retirement wasn't on the list. All right? But will you trust a God to an unknown future? And even as I walk through this story, as I talk through my story, it never amazes me that humans, that we will live our life every single day thinking we are certain about our future, thinking that we truly know what tomorrow may hold. Think about how many people got a phone call this year that somebody's got COVID and died from it. They thought years later they would still be here. They thought they would retire when they're 44, 52 years old. It doesn't happen. So will you trust a known God to an unknown future? Church, I'm going to tell you something today. The way we live our life in the current, the way we live our life now in the present are based on who and what we currently trust. So what if we trusted God with our future and not trusted our money to get us there? What would happen, church? And listen to me tomorrow, as I tell you guys tomorrow, and I'm not telling you this as a, as a condescending message, but I'm telling you to, to encourage you. This is what James is trying to say through this passage. Who, we, who, we, who or what we trust plays a major role in our navigation of our life. So that leads me in our point number one. Do not be overconfident in your plans. Connection Church, do not be overconfident in your plans. Verse 13 says, now listen to me, chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. He says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So out the gate, church, what do we see? We see James addressing something that has been, that has been plaguing those, those scattered Jewish Christian believers, right? He says they were making their own plans apart from the will of God, right? They were overconfident in their own future. And they would have said that Jesus was in control of their lives, but yet when they lived it, it was completely different than what they would say. So the big question we probably need to ask is, because I hear it so much, are plans bad? If you're telling me that, that we shouldn't be worried about our future and trust to a known God, should we be making plans? Are plans bad? Let's dive into that. And let's see if we can dissect that question real quick. Because I see this so much in the youth, in dealing with youth. And you ask them, what's your plan at the high school? And many are so certain that they're going to end in a certain place. Think about every college kid you ever know, or back when you were probably in college or when you graduated. What did people always ask? What's your plan? What's next? What do you plan on doing, right? What is something you're striving for? And they will give you all these things not knowing that their future is uncertain, all right? Not knowing what tomorrow may hold. You see, I have plans, but none of my plans were founded on who truly who God was or seeking God to see if I, could, if, if, if I need to do this thing that, he was, that I was getting called to do, I thought I was being called to do, all right? Some people ask me all the time, they say, AJ, have you been to seminary? I said, no, nah, I've been to police trainer. That trained me how to be a pastor more than me in the seminary, I believe, because I dealt with some hard stuff, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. But I want to tell you something, church. Apart from the will of God, this life will be a mystery to you. And you will be tossed to and fro by the waves trying to figure out, God, what do you have planned for my life? But apart from the will of God, this life will be a mystery. And it's only when you seek the Father and to do his will will this life that you're living in begin to make sense. Even as a police officer, when I became passionate about the will of God, his butt was discipling me, all right? I may, I may have not have been there, but I, I may have put myself in those places, but I still believe God works in our mistakes. So one of the things began to be, God, if I'm here, right here, right now, and you're sovereign, you got me right where I need to be. So now, how can I begin to live in the will of God in my current work assignment? 
All right? And one of the things I began to do is that I didn't know how to share the gospel. I began to aggravate folks with coming to church over and over and over. Hey, man, you go to church anywhere? No, come to Connection Church, done with me. Now I asked over and over and over until I'm joking, we'll step in the door. Randy, Randy DeLoach, y'all know Randy, don't you? Randy's one of the elders at this church. He was one of the ones I had my target sites on. And I remember that sucker told his wife, he says, hey, can we please go to this church so I can make AJ happy? <laughs> Three Sundays later, that boy got saved. Two years later, he's an elder at this church. Can we celebrate that? That's something that's worth celebrating, church. But church, what if we all begin to see where we are in our life as a current assignment by God to reach those that are around us? If we're called to be salt and light to this world, how can we do that in our current work assignments? Because there is lost people around every single one of us. When you open your eyes and take it off of yourself and look at a holy God and you realize that there are all of his creations around me, how can I be a tool for your kingdom? You begin to live missionally. As you connect with Christ, you go out horizontally to other people. That's why I look at the cross. That's what it means to me. Church, how might our perspective change when we see that people that give us a hard time at work, people that we consume, people we assume are our enemies, we're the same people that Jesus told us to seek and save. How might our mindset change and work? Proverbs 16, 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, everybody knows this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen, and you will seek me when you find me, when you seek me with all your heart. Connection Church, I want to tell you something, that plans are okay, but obedience has to be priority in our life. Plans are okay, but obedience has to be priority. And as we make our plans, church, we must begin to be obedient. We must be diligent to say to ourselves, God, not my will, but thy will be done. You want to find a life that's worth fulfilling. You say, God, your will be done in my life, and you live that out. James, James 4.15 says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Let me be clear. I said it before. I said it again. I'm not, God's not against you making plans, but it's one thing for a believer to make plans thinking that he is sovereign over his own future, right? When we make our plans, the question has to be asked, are they in line with the will of God? But let's, because let's face it, he said it right here in Scripture. If it is the Lord's will, then we must live and do this or that. And the basic question we got to ask ourselves, if we're saying, am I living in God's will? Do we first know what God's will is? Because for you to live in his will, you must first know what his will is. And let's look at what Warren Wiersbe says about living outside of the will of God. He says, when a believer is out of the will of God, he will become a troublemaker and not a peacemaker. How powerful is that statement? When you're outside the will of God, you will be a troublemaker and not a peacemaker. Church, the will of God comes from the heart of God. We walk through a whole series called Greater Story, and you begin to see God's heart throughout that whole story. So if you're asking me, AJ, so you keep saying the will, the will, the will, what is his will? Well, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to let the Scripture answer it for you. Let's see what the Bible says about God's will. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Listen to this right here. Not wishing that anyone should perish. But all should reach repentance, 
All right, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I see it right there in this verse. Let's go down to John 6, 40. It says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's go to one more, and I'm going to give you a bigger picture. The key focus on this one is going to be nations. It says, and now the Lord, this is Isaiah 49, verses 5 through 6. It says, and now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I'm honored to be in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, this is what I want you to hone in on right here. This is what he's telling him, telling Isaiah. He said, it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those in Israel I have kept. He says, I will also, he says, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, which in the Greek, Gentiles translates to nations. So what he's saying is, I will also make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see it right there, church. Three verses pointing out, what is God's will? So now if you see that God's will, salvation must reach the ends of the earth, how do we align ourselves to that will, right? In our current work assignments, how do we align ourselves to that will? Because sometimes, I, I preached this a while back at the church in Antioch, when Barnabas and Paul were sent off, what's the first thing they said they did? They said after they returned from their mission, the Holy Spirit, then they prayed over them and fasted and prayed, and the Holy Spirit sent them off to somewhere else. All right? What's the last thing that God told you to do before you sent into heaven? Go and make disciples. So how do we do that here and right now? And as we're doing those things, I believe God will then give us a better sense of direction where he will want us to go. But he wants to see you faithful doing the last thing he commanded you to do. All right? So how do we do that right now? Because one day there's going to be somebody from every tribe, every nation, every tongue at the throne. There are already believers coming into the kingdom from the yes that, that Mike and Lauren have said. By being faithful and dying to this world and dying to this American dream that we so eagerly chase. I said this message preached to me because there's still things I want. And I have to doubt of myself daily and continue doing this so I, don't have to, so, I, so I can continue living in the will of God. Because I know my heart. I know who I am. I'm obsessive. If I start getting all that stuff again, guess where my focus goes? It goes back to the mess that I've been chasing, and it comes off of God. Church, we are to be people. Listen to verse 14 real quick. It says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Church, we should be living this life in light of that day. All right? Because we are in promise tomorrow. And what's that day I'm talking about where every tribe, nation, and tongue is around the throne? That's what we should be moving towards. So what if we made our career choices, church? And this is speaking to the young folks in the room. What if we made career choices with that picture in mind, with eternity in mind? Will the college kids pick careers that will take them to countries that have zero access to the gospel? I'm not saying that being a doctor is wrong. It's awesome that you want to be a doctor and help people, but what if you use that, that, that passion that you have to go somewhere else where there is zero access to the gospel? I heard a, a pastor say one time, he asked his church, he says, how many of you in here want your kids to be a doctor? And people raise their hand. How many of you want them to be an electrical engineer? And people raise their hand. How many of you want them to be a firefighter? People raise their hand. He asked about police officers, nobody raised their hand. Oh, let me stop, that's funny. But this is what I'm getting at. He asked him, how many of you want your kids to preach? And none of them raised their hand. He then asked, he said, I'll take it a step further. How many want your kids to be a missionary? None of them raised their hand. Church, we have to begin to disciple our kids with a global mindset. 
We must begin to have a looser rein on our kids so we can trust a known God with their unknown future. Because God will have bigger plans for you than you have for your own kids. He is more interested in your future than you are. So what would happen if we, if we held our kids loosely and trusted God with our kids, that God can do whatever he will have with our kids? Because I believe if we're going to raise up missionaries that we pray for so much in this church that will go to the ends of the earth, more people like this, if we want to raise more people up, we have to disciple our kids loosely. I went to a missions training conference about a month ago, about three weeks ago, and one of the things that I heard that was heartbreaking and this mission training facility out in Tijuana, Mexico, they train up missionaries on how to go in and how to infiltrate a culture. And I see their worldview, how to go in and learn language, how to begin to teach creation to Christ, all those things. But one of the things that they said, they will ask those people when they come in, how many of you have been swayed not to come? 95% of missionaries that are going to be trained to be sent out had their parents and their friends tell them, you should not be going. It's dangerous. Do we forget if we look at the news, it's even more dangerous over here than it probably is over there? If you read the paper, we got stupid stuff happening here daily. We had two of y'all get killed in Cochrane. Do we think it's more safer to stay here for our kids? No, what's safer is if our kids are in the will of God. What's safer for us is if we are in the will of God. Because I believe if we're being obedient to what his word says, we will get his provision and his protection, church. We preach a little bit, church. Connection Church, are we overconfident in our plans? Are we overconfident in our plans? So moving on to my next point in this passage, I believe James has given us two clear warnings. Two clear warnings that I believe that every believer in here, myself included, because this has been preaching to me, goodness gracious, this week. The first warning I believe is that you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Listen to verse 14. You are a mist that appears for a little while, and then you vanish. God is the only person, church, that can say with confidence what the future holds. And let me tell you something. God cannot be wrong, right? Why? Because the Bible says he's the beginning, he is the right now, and he is the end. The Bible says he's the alpha and the omega. What he starts, he will finish. So he is sovereign over your future, and we have to get to a place where we trust him because he exists out of time. He sees things you can't even see. Billy Graham said, God is more interested in your future and your relationships than you are. So if Billy Graham said it best, if he said this, since God is more interested in your future, it should lead every one of us to have more of a confidence to trust him with it, right? And then our second warning I believe this passage has given us is, Planning without God reveals our arrogance. Hear that again. Planning without God reveals our arrogance. And verse 16 says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. How can it, how, how can it be, church, that we're so confident in our plans and not consult the one who holds our future in his hands? All right? How can, we, how can we be so confident in our future when we forget that as our Savior hung on the cross, if this earth rotated one foot off his axis, one side would burn up and one side would freeze to death. He held all that in his hands as he sacrificed himself for us. But Connection Church, if we're not careful, what will happen is time will quickly pass us in our routine. And many of us become so blinded by our own busyness and that we begin to equate good plans with God plans, right? 
And listen to me. Kevin DeYoung said it like this. He said, busyness does not mean you're a faithful or a fruitful Christian. It only means you're busy just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. We need the word of God to set us free if only we can make time for an appointment. Why don't many people come to church? A lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, excuses we get is we don't have enough time. Why don't we pray before we leave the house in the morning because we don't have enough time? Why don't we read our word because we don't have enough time? Why don't we go to small group because we don't have enough time? We live in a culture that travel ball ruins us. That's one of the things I've been praying for with God is my kid begins to make all-stars. Like I had a coach call me last week and say, hey, we want your kid to play on our team. I said, my kid won't be there on a Sunday. So if you got us, we ain't going to be there. I said, for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Church, are we too busy? Are we teaching our kids what's truly important? Because there's a 110% chance your kid going to stand before your Savior in heaven one day. And what's going to matter is have we discipled him to know that that decision is going to be coming and that's the most important decision they can make. Not how good a swing looks. Proverbs 19, 21 reminds us that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Church, I want to tell you something today. We're called human beings, not human doings. It's in our being with God that we find out what we should be doing with our future. It's in our being with God that we find out what we should be doing with our future. God, church, I pray that you let that sit into your heart. There's a reason why we call human beings. God wants us to be with him. He wants us to rest in him. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to, to, to surrender our lives to him. And when you surrender your life to him, trust me, you can trust him with what's uncertain. Because he holds this whole world in his hands. That's a song that little kids sing. He's got the whole world in this. There we go. Y'all know it. Sing it to your kids so they'll understand it too. Everything, that nothing happens outside of his control, that it's all in his hands. Verse 17 says, and this one's tough here, church. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Church, our problem is, is, is usually not that we don't know what to do. We just fail to do it, you know? And I want to tell you something about it, church. Delayed obedience is still disobedience, all right? And a lot of times in the American church, we convinced ourselves that we can do it later, all right? We convinced ourselves that, that, that one day I'll be faithful. One day I'll begin to pick my Bible up. One day I'll start paying my tithes. One day I'll start getting, one day I'll join a small group. One day I'll do all these things, but why can that one day be today? One day I'll get saved. Why can't today be the day of your salvation? Why can't today be the day you, 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 you truly come to life and you truly begin to walk? Because if you keep saying one day, one day, one day, Satan has you blinded. He had me blind for 26 years. I think the first regret I had once I came, once I truly started walking in the line of what God had for my life was the people I could have been ministered to when I was in Statesboro around all those lost college kids. That's the first thing I went to. So I tell these kids, I tell them, I say, hey, I want to be the youth pastor from hell. I want to tell you everything you should be doing, and I want to sugarcoat anything for you. I heard a guy that's a missionary one time. That's what he said. He said, I had a youth pastor from hell. He said that this guy literally would would tell us about the mission over and over and over and over and over to when he graduated high school, the first thing he did was got on the plane, blindly heading wherever God would have him. 
He said, why? Because I had a youth pastor that taught the truth to me, a youth pastor that did not sugarcoat anything to me, a youth pastor that told me what I was created for. Connection Church, if any of you have been coming here for any given time, we at Connection Church are going to tell you what, you're, what you exist for, to know God and make him known. We don't sugarcoat anything. We're going to challenge you to walk out your faith. But the beautiful thing is you don't have to do it by yourself, that God has surrounded you with people around you that will walk alongside you and encourage you to help you do those things and live it out. Church, delayed obedience is disobedience. So what are some application questions we can take away with that? In our business, in our doing, have we stopped long enough to, to ask God, what's your plan for my life? Two, if we are supposed to align our lives with God's will, how can we begin to live inside of his will in, our, in regards to our work, current work assignments? How can we be authentic in our faith where we are currently right now? And that leads me to point number two. It says, don't be overconfident in your material possessions. Do not be overconfident in your material possessions. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, now listen, you rich people. Weeping well because of the misery that's coming upon you. It says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will testify against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So out the gate, I see James in this chapter is now addressing materialism, right? So biblically, let's look at what materialism actually means. What materialism is, church, is when the physical and the financial take precedence over the spiritual and the eternal. Church, I believe at the heart of sin is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, right? And at the heart of pride, usually, is often a love of money. That is materialism, right? James isn't condemning money, it's money itself, so I want to get that straight. Because some of God's servants were very wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy, then lost it all, and then got it back. So there are wealthy people in the Bible, but what James is condemning here is a mindset that will begin to, to, to take gold for God, right? They will begin to worship created things rather than the creator. They will begin to turn good things into God things, right? And James, in this chapter here in James, what he's saying is he's rebuking those rich people who were among the readers whose hearts were devoted to this type of materialism, right? And there's a sin that transcends time. This is the one that transcends time. I believe this message right here is for the American church because every day we say we want to give Jesus everything, that God, everything I have is all yours. But in reality, you look at your life, it speaks a whole lot different, all right? I just think of a story of the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, 16. This story preaches for itself. I'm just going to read it to you and let you hear it. I'm telling you, man, I see this. and I'm like, am I the rich young ruler? Put yourself in his shoes. What if this was Jesus telling this to you? This is why this message was so hard for me to preach. Because I had to answer that. I had to answer that myself. I had to come to grips with this myself. So Matthew 19, 16 says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All of those I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Then Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. He says, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away scared. He went away sad 
because he had great wealth. Church, feel the weight of what that message is saying right now. This guy, instead of following Jesus, he went away sad because he had to sell off all his things to follow Jesus, right? And I want to share a statistic with you guys. If you are in America right now and you make minimum wage or up, right, you are technically considered to be in the top 12.6% of wealth in the world. So whether you like it or not, we're rich, all right? You have hit the lottery of being born in America. So whether you like it or not, you're, you're rich. But let's look what Matthew 19, 23 to 24 says about being rich. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter, kev- enter heaven, enter the kingdom of God. I wonder why is that? Why is he saying that, church? Why is he saying it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich person to enter heaven? And I believe he's saying that because he knows that people who are rich are attached to their wealth. All right? They're attached to their stuff. All right? And people who focus on storing riches in this world will easily allow this world to distract them. Right? When you're tied up in all these things and building treasures here on earth, you will always be tied up. Let me tell you something, church. The Bible says that we should be collecting our treasures in heaven. Because if we collect them in heaven, they cannot be destroyed or stolen or lost. Spiritual wealth, church, will be eternal. All right? So, AJ, I just bought my dream car. You tell me I should sell it and drive the hoopty again. If the thought of losing that car makes you sick, probably so. All right? If you skip out on tithing so you can make a car payment, probably so. All right? So, if you truly want to know, I heard Stanley Lane talk about it yesterday with me. If you truly want to know what you worship, he says, check your checkbook. See, is what you pay, see what you paid more than what you paid in tithes this year. And that'll probably give you a good example of what you worship. I think you said, what you said, chicken feed? <laughs> he paid more money in chicken feed than, than tithing. So that was one of the things he had to come to grasp with. What am I truly serving? I think we all need to ask our own selves those questions. What do we truly worship? And our checkbook will usually tell us this. There's a saying in my community that I come from. I hear it all the time. I went to a, a, a buddy of mine the other day, and he says, you know, God blessed me with a new car. Okay. Was it paid for? You know, and I, I say in the words of what my daddy says, God didn't bless you with a new car. You just blessed yourself with a payment, a.k.a. something else that ties you down to this world, right? Church, why do we think money was taught on so much in Scripture, right? I just think of 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 10, of what, Jesus, what Paul tells Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a beautiful thing about contentment. I tell people all the time, I said, life is really good. It's only when you begin to focus on what stuff somebody else has to my left or to my right or my neighbor or what I see on Facebook, then I begin to get stressed that I don't have enough. All right? They used to be me with me and my brother. We used to be in competitions for so much, so long. And he's a nurse practitioner. It's a boy rolling in money. So I will see the stuff he will have, and I will come home. My wife knew it. I will get in this funk. Because I realized that, man, I'm not, I'm not making enough. So I start researching new jobs, right? Because I wanted to have the stuff that he had. But when I would come home and separate myself from that lifestyle and just look at what I have, and, I, and they're faithful people. That's why I said it's okay to have money. But my problem is I wanted his type of money, though. And I began to be worried because I kept trying to get more and more and more so I can be like him. No, I need to be more like Jesus, church. Well, y'all need to be more like Jesus, church. The Bible even says, Jesus said it before. He said, the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. All right? We see that in Scripture. He wasn't rolling in money either. But he had something else greater than any of us could have. This man's in heaven. 
connected to the Father. Church, I'm going to talk through two things I see in this passage. I believe there are four things that I believe that Jesus is, there are four things or four people that James is talking through in the book of James. You have poor godly people. You have poor ungodly people. You have rich godly people. You have rich ungodly people. So what he's focusing on right now is the rich ungodly people. And I believe that if you look at the, the lives of rich ungodly people, they will give you two different, two brutally different worldviews. And one of the things I believe they will say is, you're either blinded by ownership or you're humbled by stewardship. Church, you are either blinded by ownership or humbled by stewardship. See, this is what ownership says. Ownership says, I don't belong to God. Nothing I have belongs to God. In fact, I deserve all I have because I have worked hard for it and I answer only to myself. Ownership convinces you that you have the final say. You are the voice of reason. And I believe that's rooted in sin. You know, sin by its middle letter I, the big I problem. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be Lord of my life. But until you dethrone that God, it is you. You won't find true life. But let's look at what humility does. It says humility produces an attitude of stewardship, which screams that there is someone beyond you. It says, I belong to God. Everything I have belongs to God. In fact, I do not deserve any of this. It's all a gift from God because I am the Lord's steward. A good steward is wise because they know that everything on this planet will spoil. A good steward recognizes that we'll have to give, account, give an account to God to everything he's given us. I heard a quote, to whom much is given, much is required, All right? Jesus sums it up in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and that thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Church, many of us say we love the Lord. Many of us say all of our stuff belongs to him, but when we look at our lives, they scream the exact opposite. They scream that God is mine, it's not yours. Church, I believe as people, we should be people that look to God and say, God, not with a closed fist saying, God, how much should I keep? Not saying, God, how much should I give, but open hands to God saying, God, how much should I keep? Because everything you create is all yours. I freely give it, God, as you ask for it. So church, ask yourself this question before we move on and finish up. Where are we storing up our treasures? How can we break free from the idolatry of money and the thing that it buys? And how can we seek first God's kingdom? And last question, are we stewards or are we owners of God's resources? Are we a steward or owner of God's resources? And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up on this point. And the last point, church, will we place our confidence in Jesus no matter what? So if you've seen the clear warnings in this passage, don't be overconfident in your plans. Don't place your confidence in material things. Will you place your confidence in Jesus, church, no matter what? As we finish up, I want to encourage you to heed the warnings of this passage. This message was truly for the people in James' day, but even so more now, the culture that we're living in. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. I met with two guys a couple weeks ago, and, and I remember as I was going to meet with them, God, I, went to, I was uh, at the office, and I was always praying to for God to give me what I need to say to these people in these meetings. God, what do you want me to say to your people? And I'm not a Bible scholar by no means, but when God drops on my spirit, I do got a bad boy named Google on my phone. And I kept hearing this echo of a, of a verse in my spirit, and it was having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness. So I Googled it on my phone, it was 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. 
But then if you read the whole passage, I want to show you what this passage says. And I began to walk these guys I met with through last week, both guys through the same passage, and God did a work in their lives through that. This is what it says. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. It says people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, treacherous, can't get it up, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And what I see Paul telling Timothy in this passage is, in these last days, and we are living in the last days, this is what you will see. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, which is what we talked about in this passage. I told a guy I met when I said, look, man, I said, when I, went to, when I grew up in church, I served as an usher, I sung in the sunshine band, um, I cut the grass at the church, I even ran the soundboard. You can meet with me, and I could tell you enough things about the gospel to make you, to have you fooled to believe that I was saved. But if you would have followed me around and looked at my life, my life would have denied the power of God in my life. And I believe that's what religion is. We're, we're putting all this facade of all these things that we're doing, doing, doing for God, but you're forgetting you're being with him. And it's when you're being with God that you find this power. So we must be a church radically dedicated to spending time with being with God. Because if you don't, you, are running, you will be, you'll be in danger of living your life in disobedience to God. Because when I think about following Jesus, will you follow him no matter what? When I think about what Jesus did on the cross, will you? he went to the cross no matter what. His hands and his feet were pierced for you no matter what. There was no other option, and he gladly went and done it. I'm not asking you to be a missionary, but what if he called you? Would you go? What if he placed a people group on your mind that you wanted to go, and he told you to go, and what would you do? But church, I'm asking you right now, will you be faithful to God no matter what? I mean, I look at Mike and I look at his wife and I see the yes that they put on the table and I see them following Jesus no matter what. God is doing a work in his life and I guarantee you that's not a day in his life he comes and doubt with God. Am I truly safe? Because when you're walking out the will of God and you're doing the thing he commands you to do, the doubt that you think you have is never there. Because you're doing the thing that God told you to do in Scripture. It's when you're walking outside that doing your own thing with your life, then you begin to doubt that, man, am I truly saved? Come on, church. So maybe you're here today and you keep saying, AJ, you keep telling me place my faith in, in, in Jesus and he controls my future. You keep telling me to serve him rather than my material things. How do I start to follow him in the first place? So the first thing I will ask you right now is to place your faith in the one that holds your future together. Because I'm, going to, I'm not going to be a guy to sugarcoat anything to you. If God is, if your future is not in his hands, if you haven't placed your faith in him, your destiny will be, I can tell you where you will head. You will head to a place called hell that's separated from him. And that's the good news of the gospel. But you want to know the good news, you got to understand the bad news. The bad news is you're just born into sin. This sin separates you from God. So if you do not give your life to Christ and you don't, you don't say with your life, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And I believe that he finished it on the cross. He was raised on the third day. If you don't confess that with your mouth and you stand before him eternity without giving your life to him, your eternity will be in a place called hell. But the Bible, it says that God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. When he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, he was pierced for you. The wrath that we deserve because we were separated from him, he gave it for you. So that you will live for him and glorify him and he will be the new Lord of your life. Because you're either going to be a slave to Satan or a slave to Jesus Christ. There is no in between. 
But church, I'm telling you, the life that I'm asking you, the life that Jesus is calling you to do, that what you see in Scripture to seek and save the lost, he wants you to repent and turn from your sin. That life that you're about to dive off into, I'm telling you, it's worth everything you could ever imagine. It's worth selling your whole house. It's worth selling your dream cars because you realize that something in eternity is much more greater. All right? Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe that's you in here today. Maybe you believe that, that you've been putting your faith in all your material possessions and you believe that that was going to sustain you. But you realize it's falling horribly short. Maybe you've went out and maybe you've made plans on your own. Not even realizing that, hey, my eternity is, is, is heading to a terrible end. The Bible says that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So if you feel something working on your heart right now, I want to let you know that that is God's Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you believe that you want to place your faith in Jesus and you want to make him Lord of your life, would you lift your hand? Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate? Four people just placed their faith in Jesus. So right now, for those who just raised their hand, I want to lead you in a guided prayer. I believe that the prayer is not what saves you. The fact that you raised your hand is what saves you. The fact that you heard the gospel being preached and you lifted your hand in the air, that is proof that, 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 that the message saved you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you repeat after me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. He was fully God, yet fully man. He was buried and raised on the third day. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. And I'm saved. I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved. And for the rest of us, God, I just thank you for the day, God. God, just thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church, God, and this community, God. God, I pray for the, the precious souls that raised their hand, God, and the lady in the back. God, I just pray that you come into their lives and make it new, God. God, we know that today, God, 724, 2022 is their new birthday, God. Have a new turn of home, God. And that's with you in heaven, God. But God, I pray right now, God, that you would surround them and the other new believers in the room, God, that just came to faith in Christ. Would you surround them with the hedge protection right now, Father God, and give them an insatiable desire, God, to grow deeper with you, God. An insatiable desire, God, to, to be with you, God. And God, may their doing flow out of their being, God. celebrate church. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.